Okay, this is the first one, the first live episode. Pretty happy about that, just because it's, it's something. I don't do this. I mean, I, it's not like, like my show is basically set up to be a live show. I don't do really any edits unless I like have to leave halfway through an episode and then come back and then you'd never know. But other than that, this is pretty much as live as can be. And I think it shows if you listen to any of the last shows that I've done. But I want to start off this one. Because I have some segments. Now, they're not beautifully set up or anything, but they're all right. And the first one is um, I want to go over uh, something that, uh, well, if it, if it would load, it's not, uh, doesn't seem to load properly. Let's see. Can I click that? Let me click it. Come on now. Come on now. Select. Okay, this is going to make me do it the hard way. Um, I'd like to copy that. There it is. Uh, I want to go over my personality test that I went through at the Understand Myself website that Jordan Peterson is always promoting, which is obviously his website. And it's for the big ass, big five aspects scale of how you can essentially how you can uh, understand who you are as a person, your personality traits, everything in general. I thought it would be a cool idea to let other people know just who I am, as far as my personality is concerned, and um, yeah, this is going to be just a uh, more of a what would you say? This is going to be more of a just going over the basic topics of where I stand baseline, and if anyone really cares in the future to listen to more, maybe drop a boostergram or something, and we'll talk about this more in the future. But for now, this is the, the basics of, of what it is. So I'm going to go through the first step, first section, which is my agreeableness. And this is moderately high. Uh, I'm not the best at being disagreeable. I don't like I don't like being in conflict and being a disagreeable person really puts you in conflict regardless of what you want or not. So I'm 71st percentile in the agreeableness section and the first uh First paragraph of this says, you are moderately high in agreeableness, which is the primary dimension of interpersonal reaction in the big five personality trait scientific model. Agreeableness has two aspects, compassion and politeness, which will be explained separately. Agreeableness is a very complex trait with marked positive and negative elements along all, or all along its distribution. Because of this, higher scores and lower scores need to be explained at the same time. Now it goes into more, and I'm not going to do all that. That would be an entire show just going through all this, but let's continue on. My compassion is moderately high, as well as my politeness. So this is why I scored relatively high in the agreeableness category. I'm 61st percentile in compassion and 76th in politeness. So um, as you can tell, I'm something of a pushover, a milk toast kind of character. Uh, consci conscientiousness, typical or average? So I think pretty highly of myself, even though I'm not very... <laughs> very uh even though i shouldn't i'm 49th percentile uh typical or average in conscientiousness which is the primary dimension of dutiful achievement in the big five personality trait scientific model i'm just going to call that big five model from now on uh conscientiousness is a measure of obligation attention to detail hard work persistence cleanliness efficiency and adherence to rules standards and processes conscientious people implement their plans and establish and maintain order yeah, I'd agree with that. I'm probably typical or average. My industriousness is moderately low. And my orderliness, 
orderliness is moderately high. And I think those are the two aspects that make up conscientiousness. Then there's extroversion, typical or average. And I would agree with this as well. At some points, I'll feel extremely extroverted, but then at some points, I just want to be left alone. So 50th percentile there. I'm going to kind of speed through this a little bit. Uh, Neuroticism, moderately high. You are moderately high in neuroticism, which is the primary dimension of negative emotion in the Big Five model. Neuroticism is a measure of general sensitivity to negative emotions, such as pain, sadness, irritable, or defensive anger, fear, and anxiety. I'm not going to say that I'm, like, super anxious, and obviously this is just a test. I can't tell you everything about yourself, but yeah, I'd, I'd kind of agree with this because I am susceptible to stress. Pretty susceptible, I would say. Uh, pain and sadness, I don't find any. Maybe if it hits me hard enough, then. And keep in mind, I took this test, like, four years ago. And your personality traits don't really change much by four years, as far as scientists say. But then again, I don't know. Like, I'm just reading what it says. Openness to experience. Moderately low. I disagree with this. I don't know why it says this. Because, well, let's see this. You're moderately moderately low in openness to experience, uh, which is the primary dimension of creativity, artistic interest, and intelligence, particularly verbal intelligence on the Big Five uh, model. The problem here is I took another personality test and I scored almost off the charts on my verbal skills. So there's that, my verbal intelligence, just being able to speak and knowing words to use in certain situations. So there's that. I'm also kind of artistic, (laughs) kind of autistic. Uh, I'm kind of artistic in certain situations. So uh, scoring 30th doesn't seem fair. I'd, I'd say I'm probably closer to 50th. Average. I'm not going to say I'm super high, but I'd say I'm probably average because I do a lot more artistic things in nature as far as creativeness than most people I know, if not just thinking and drawing, than actually committing and creating. So I, I don't know about this one. Either way, um, that category was made up of my intellect, typical or average, makes sense, and my openness, low, doubt it. I'm I'm a little bit more extroverted and open to speaking to people at least. So, I don't know about that one. Anyway, I want to get into another topic. There's a podcast that I talked about a while ago. It was called the uh, uh, the Blue Collar Plebcast. I would look into that if I was you and you wanted a listen into Bitcoin and everything that Bitcoin has to offer. Um, but there is a there's a section of one of the most recent episodes that this guy had with uh, Pirate, uh, Pirate Beach Bum 2. That's his uh, Twitter handle. I messaged that guy. I want to talk to him too. Maybe I could get him on an interview if this live thing works and if the app I use actually sounds good. So we'll see how this goes. But uh, there is a portion of the episode where these two dudes were talking about who they grew up around. And I had a thought come to me. Now, I would played a clip, but for some reason I didn't catch it. And then I deleted the episode and it's been a little while. So I'm not sure what exactly was said or where to find it. So for now, you're just going to have to deal with Claude's... Uh, remembrance of the topic. Uh, Speaking of that remembrance, the topic was about who they grew up around. And my thought that came to me was who you've grown up around and who you've watched while you were growing up helps to shape your lens of perception towards people like the dude in the example clip, which I didn't didn't get the clip. The dude that this guy grew up uh, around He grew up around like killers and hard, tough people. So it was easy for him to see people like that in the world. Easy to point out who the tough killers were and easy to to see 
exactly who they were in a crowd and to point them out. So in the same way, I grew up around like snakes. I grew up around druggies and foreigners and snakes. And by snakes, I mean, I mean, people who essentially lie to you to your face and think they're getting away with it and keep on doing it. I grew up around these people, which were mainly the druggies, but in that same you know, category of people. I grew up around them my whole life. And it's easy for me to point out a person who's lying to my face and who's essentially being a snake. Sorry for the, the noise I'm recording in a loud environment just because I really wanted to get this out there. I was late to the uh, start of the live episode. I'm late to a lot, but either way, continuing on. I think that this guy's onto something about who has a good lens in the world and what your perception is formed by. Your perception is formed by the environment that you grew up in. Just like you are a product of environment, so is your perception, pretty much everything around you. And if your environment was made up of snakes, and I, I don't mean literal snakes, I mean like people who, like I already explained, people who lie to you on a daily basis and think they're getting away with it, then you'll be good at spotting those people out. Your perception will be shaped to see those people. Now, whether you become one of those people or not doesn't matter. It's, it is is not my point, is whether you can see them or not, is if you were actually perceiving what was around you and focusing. But I think most people do, and I think that's, that's something that should be talked about. Just because it's like, like, come on. If you want to say that you're good at something like that, and you want people to actually listen to you because of your knowledge on the topic of someone being a snake, you want to point it out, you want to accuse someone of something, have a little bit of... Uh, this is my situation. I have a personal situation where I've been accusing a certain someone of certain something, which I don't know, call me out for being a judgy dude. Doesn't matter. I, I was calling him out for being a specific person, you know, case in point, a snake. And I think I have good reason for it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make a statement without being able to defend it, have an opinion without being able to defend it. And I think I can defend it not just based on personal experience, but on general judge of character. So, yeah, I that thought came to me and kind of while listening to a podcast. Imagine that. Just listening to podcasts lets you get a little more introspective and a little bit more um, learny about the world. About the world. Kind of crazy. On that same show, though, I believe it was, on that same show, there was a uh, website that was brought up called the Bitcoin Q&A. So I'm just now learning everything I can about Bitcoin. I started reading 21, uh, 21 concepts, 21 rules. Uh, I can't remember. I think it's 21 rules or something about Bitcoin. I just started reading it and I, I like it a lot. The guy has tons and tons of citations, just an insane amount. And then he, uh, he also opens up every new topic with something that relates to that topic based off of the work of uh, Lewis Carroll, I think is, is his name. The dude who wrote Alice in Wonderland. I think it's Lewis Carroll or Carol Lewis. I think it's Lewis Carroll. Anyway, I just started reading all these things to try and learn about Bitcoin myself because I really want to learn about Bitcoin. I want to know why I should put my trust in something that is a monetary thing that is a money when I, every other form of money is just going to screw you over. And I keep I'm still haunted by that same exact verse that keeps telling you that that keeps popping into my mind and telling me the love of money is the root of all evil. So I don't want to like have a love for anything, but I do want it to under, I do want to understand it. So that way I can make an informed decision as to whether I'm going to use it or as to whether I should be promoting it or, or anything of that nature. 
but I'll have a link in the podcasting 2.0 chapters. It'll be uh, on your screen when this uh, gets published, not when it's live, because right now it's live for the first time ever. But once it gets uh, published, I'll have a podcasting 2.0 link right like on it will have been on the screen for a few minutes now showing you where you can go to get all of your Bitcoin questions answered. And I think if he hasn't put it on there, there may be a donation link for the value for value system. So if you find value in that website, go ahead and down, uh, donate some value. But speaking about donating value, uh, I wanted to talk about a side project that I'm doing for a guy at church. There's a guy at my church who needs a demo done. He needs a lot of uh, siding removed and a lot of siding replaced. So also in the 2.0 chapters, you can look at your screen once it gets published and you'll see the images of the project before and the rough square footage based on the Apple measuring system of what needs to be done on this shop. And then you'll also see the demo pictures right about now of what's been done so far. But either way, the value for value portion of this is that Value for value is the lifestyle that is changing my life and the way that I see things. And as an example of that, I want to go into how I asked my brother-in-law to come help me with my with, with the demo that needs to be done because it would be faster and obviously there'd be payment involved, but it would be faster and it'd be a good conversation to have with my brother-in-law while we're with my brother-in-law while we're working. And it turns out that we kind of lost track of time and we just started just started talking and we talked for a good long while and one of the topics that came up was Jordan Peterson and he's actually going to be there's a few clips of his that I'm going to have uh in the next few segments here because I have a few other clips that I want to talk about but either way we started talking about Jordan Peterson and I hadn't known that he started listening to this guy like I'd been trying to turn him on to Jordan Peterson for a good long time because that guy is the guy that has changed the lives of so many men in this world. It's ridiculous. Like I, I just wanted him to get a grasp of what this guy had to say, Jordan Peterson, what he had to say. And little did I know he'd been recommended these clips by the YouTube algo, which is just crazy <laughs> that, that it would do. I mean, it's not crazy. It's, it's an algo. It does whatever gets the most screen time because that's all that matters. the bottom line. But, the fact that he would get the same recommendations on who to listen to to try to be a better person is another is another thing and and he didn't get, just get jordan peterson he got he got uh videos of tupac he got videos of biggie he got videos of uh mike tyson and and all these other what would you call them intimidating men and i, I realize all those guys were black but the idea is that these black men, for example, Tupac and Mike Tyson are two dudes that could really mess you up. And these guys aren't intimidating for that reason, for, for the reason of beating people up, but for the reason that they could, but they don't unless they have to. That's the intimidation factor. And that's another thing of just being a man is that you should be able to, and this is something that Jordan Peterson says, not that the meek will inherit the earth, but his interpretation of the meek, and I, I, I will ascribe to this for now because I don't have a better interpretation, uh, even based on biblical narrative, because let the context interpret the passage, but even based on the biblical narrative, I think the best interpretation is what he gave, which is that he who, he who has a sword but keeps it sheathed will inherit the earth, or he who has a sword and knows how to use it but keeps it sheathed will inherit the earth. 
It's not that the meek person is helpless. It's that the meek person is someone who has the skills necessary to do damage, but doesn't use it unless necessary. That's the person who will inherit the earth. And I agree with that sentiment, like I said, because it's the best interpretation I could find up until this point. But there's that, uh, that example that I wanted to, to talk about. It, we, had this, we had this conversation, my, brother and I, my brother-in-law and I, and the value that was achieved out of this, just the way my mind was racing, the, the emotions that I felt while we were speaking, the realization that he's come to terms that Jordan Peterson is someone that should be listened to, and that I know where this path will take him in his mind and the way that his mind has been essentially altered from what it had been before by his own admission, not by me saying, oh, I know where his mindset was like. I'm not familiar with his thinking. But to know what the natural progression of steps will be now that he's been turned on to this guy, Jordan Peterson, is valuable to me. So for that reason, even though we had done no work, essentially nothing, like we did, we, we removed essentially maybe five or 10 square feet of siding and that's it. Excuse me just a second. Got to drink some water. <sighs> Excuse me. <laughs> ah, it's staying in the episode. Screw it. Ah, we had barely removed five or 10 square feet of siding. That's it. Nothing more. But still, still. I decided, you know what? Screw it. That was one of the most valuable conversations I've had in a long time. There was thought-provoking concepts. There was realizations about each other, learnings about each other. I valued the time. I valued the laughs. I valued just spending time with him. And I'd also asked him to take time out of his day that he could have spent with his own family. So I valued his time and put a price tag on it and paid him a certain amount. I don't know if I should say... Not because... Not I'm at a moral dilemma of explaining how much I think because it feels like I would sound like I'm trying to be prideful about it, even though I'm not. This is a value for value lifestyle. What I deem is valuable, I'll send the number out there. So screw it, whatever, value for value all the way. $200 I paid him for three hours, not even. And most of it was talking, five square foot of material, maybe 10, maybe 20, we'll be, we'll be generous and say 20 square foot of material was removed, but Three hours, does not, it doesn't take you three hours to remove 20 square foot of siding, especially this kind. So my point is, I valued it, and I'm, I'm sticking to my guns. I truly believe in this lifestyle of value for value. I truly believe that we should ascribe a value to something. What we believe to be valuable, we should put a number to it and give that to someone. If there was a possibility for me to pay him in Bitcoin, I would have done so. But I didn't have the option, because he's not a believer in Bitcoin yet, but he'll get there. And I know that because Jordan Peterson, I can, I can trace my, my travels to Bitcoin back to Jordan Peterson, which I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to pull out a Bitcoin origin story and make that an episode specifically. But for now, for now, uh, this is, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's that. And I want to get into the next segment is this, and this is based on, oh shoot. Oh, that's no good. Um, I don't have I don't have the fountain app on my iPad and I left my phone upstairs to charge while I came down to do this recording so I don't have the boostograms that were sent in and I can't thank Ptar specifically. This is going to have to be a make good um because he did send me another one. I I don't remember word for word what he said, 
but I do remember the general idea which prompted me to write down this this uh, next topic. So we're not going to have a value for value segment in this one just for that reason, but I'll, I'll get into it. I'll mention the comment and then next episode I will uh, read word for word verbatim what was said. But the idea was he said that he agrees with, I think, what Jordan Peterson said. I think it was Jordan Peterson. No, it was something else. It was a, 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 it was a writer or someone. One of these people said, maybe it was Dawkins, it was someone, that religion can be metaphorically true but literally false. And I disagree. I disagree. Oh, no, I agree, I agree with that statement. I agree with the statement that something can be metaphorically true and literally false. I agree with that statement because that's obvious. Something can be metaphorically true and literally false. I agree with that. But I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to ascribe that to really any religion. Because at that point, any religion is up to scru- is, is doesn't hold up to any kind of scrutiny because everything can be explained away as metaphor. Nearly everything. Nearly everything. There's There's bold statements made in every religion. And those statements can't be taken as metaphorical because there's no reason to take it as metaphorical. Everything has to be, every bit of grammar has its place. Metaphors have their place and statements have their place. And there's certain statements that are made in the Bible that can't be taken as metaphorical. I.e. Jesus comparing himself to God Almighty. Literally saying, I and the Father are one. Now, we can get into the apologetic side of things. And I kind of went into this rabbit hole a while ago saying that, well, in that statement, Jesus was saying, I and the father are one in the same way that a family unit would call themselves one, where Jesus was saying that in a spiritual sense, he and his father are one because they are part of the same spiritual family. And that's where you can make that statement make sense to a, a realist or an objection, a, a, objective, a person who believes in objectivism. Uh, someone like Leonard Peikoff or Ayn Rand, these people believe in objectivism. And, uh, and, and I ascribe to a, a version of a, a objecti- objectivism as well. And I'll have to bring in some, some quotes from Leonard himself because he's, uh, he's the main student, if you haven't heard of him, I think um, Lyceum uh, is the guy on Fountain. He runs a podcast where him and a, a buddy of his, they dissect the teachings, or teachings, ugh, teachings, the uh, statements of Leonard Peikoff. He's got his own podcast as well. I've listened to that quite a bit because I went down an Ayn Rand rabbit trail, uh, just or rabbit hole. And either way, Leonard Peikoff and these types of people, they ascribe to a, form, a, a, uh, a worldview called objectivism, where if things aren't objectively, can't be proven objectively, they should be essentially thrown out, uh, baby with the bathwater kind of thing. And I disagree with that even, to be, like that has its place as well. But there is a position that should be taken in that humans have to have some sort of religious ideology. Now, I'm, I'm one of these who believes that Christianity is the correct one, and that's my belief. That's Claude in a nutshell, and I, I, I want to explain exactly what I believe about the Bible because that's where I get most of my statements and beliefs from is from the standard that I've chosen. Now, that doesn't mean that Claude's right. I believe that I'm right, but that doesn't make me right. I'm not, and, and I, I'm, I've been struggling on how to explain even that understanding as well. How can I truly believe that I'm right? How can I truly say that Christianity is the only way and still say that I could be wrong? 
well, there's always a chance for me to be wrong. I, I, I don't know for sure, based on a knowledge, that I'm correct. I know for sure based on a belief that I'm correct and that Christianity is correct. That still doesn't make me factually correct. So in that sense, religion can be metaphorically or in a belief system true, but not literally true. So as far as that goes, my belief is this, that the Bible is my standard, that everything in the Bible should be taken 150% literally unless stated otherwise by the passage that you are reading. Meaning, if there is a passage that states this is, how would you say, I saw in a vision an example, or I saw in my dreams that the, the, my, like, the example of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph in the coat of many colors, whatever story you heard when you were a kid, him and his brothers, he saw them all bowing down to him, but they weren't bowing themselves. He interpreted that in his dream that these 12 stalks of, uh, of wheat were his brothers and that these 12 stars and the sun and moon were his father and mother. Now, he, that right there is an example of a metaphor in the Bible. But other than things like that, everything in my mind needs to be taken 100% literal. And then that can get me in trouble. And that gets me in trouble all the time with even the religious crowd because at my church, no one believes the same way that Claude does. Everyone else is more in the middle of the road kind of thing while Claude's way out there. They all say that, and I've had many conversations with the deacons and the elders in the church where I explain in Revelation when it talks about locusts coming up out of the pit and these locusts, these insects, would have the faces of men and the hair of women, which... Bible's making distinctions of, you know, uh, sexes. So whoever might be upset about that or whoever might, no, no one's upset about that. Who, who's really upset about that? It's, a, it's the Bible. Whether you believe that it's the truth or whether you believe that it's false, it's the Bible. So why would you be upset about that? Anyway, when it says that, I believe that literally, in as much as you can wrap your mind around the vision, the imaginative thought that there will be a locust that comes up out of the earth with the face of a man... Amen. I don't know which man, but amen, whatever man. And long hair like a stereotypical imagination of the picture of a woman would be, long hair. I believe that will literally happen. I don't think that that's a metaphor of something else because I think you can get into trouble with that. I think the safest bet is to be as literal as possible. And as an example of that, or as a reason for that being the safest bet, is this. I don't think... Now, this is just Claude speaking here, but I don't think that you're going to get to heaven if we're assuming that you get to heaven and we're assuming that Christianity is correct and reincarnation isn't a thing and that there's no other options. that You don't go into limbo or who knows what else. Assuming you get to heaven and God sees you, I don't think he's going to take you to the corner of the pearly gates. We'll say pearly gates. I don't think he's going to take you to the corner and say, hey, Claude, come here. Come here. Hey, 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 hey guys, he'll, he'll be right back. Come here for a second. I want to talk to you. Hey, uh, that that thing that you said, um, how you believe that you know the locusts were gonna come up and they'd have the the faces of men and the hair and women and and and, and all that and all that. Yeah, yeah, all that. Uh, I didn't mean for you to take it that literally. I think you took things too literal in the Bible. I don't see that happening. I do not see 
that being the case. Now, I get it. This is just me. This is, could be my, my own flaws, my own fallacies. And, I, and I, I can see that being a problem. But I don't see Jesus coming over there and taking you to the corner and scolding you because you took things too literally in the Bible. I could see it being that he would take you to the corner and scold you for not taking other things seriously enough. That's the issue that I'm dealing with. I think it's more consistent to be as literal as possible. I think that must explain my position as well as it can for now. So I'm going to move forward a little bit on this. I have some recordings that I am ashamed of to a massive point now. Just because of the things that I've been reading, like I said, the Bitcoin stuff and the things I've been listening to, I am massively ashamed of something that had been written which or recorded, which is the Pi white paper that I recorded. Now, I was swindled into thinking that, and this is before I had any real understanding of cryptocurrencies um, that actually have some sort of utility versus Bitcoin. And... I got suckered into this idea of the Pi coin. And the suckering in was the misunderstanding of how cryptocurrencies, currencies, and monetary theory and, and money in general works. Unless I understand how that stuff works, obviously I'd be suckered into anything that sounds like it would promise the world and the moon on a platter. Which, it's not what the Pi white paper um, or the Pi coin promises. The Pi coin promises a community, essentially. And that's kind of the whole... Uh, their whole shtick is that they'll, they're increasing interest in their coin based on the amount of activity that someone will put in at the beginning. Your mining session is not true mining. There's mining happening in the background is the idea here. There's mining happening in somewhere off in Etherland. And as long as you show interest in your mining abilities, then you'll get a certain allotment of pie as a reward every day that you check in to this service that will hopefully reach the mainnet at some point but right now it's simply in testnet now i don't see any reason why this would ever reach mainnet i don't see any reason why this would ever become a real thing because there are a when i say handful i mean literally maybe two developers working on anything that has to do anything with pi and no one else is doing anything other than even these two developers are doing nothing but communications networks, which are cool. Don't get me wrong. It'd be cool to be able to pay someone directly with a currency through a encrypted messaging service. But there's that. And then there's one other one where you can get paid to do a online service using these cryptocurrencies. So making a website or something of that nature, you could get paid in Pi, which would be cool if it was on the mainnet and if it was on the exchanges and if it held any real value and even then why not just stick with the tried and true method which is bitcoin why not stick with the one that's already have that already has so much infrastructure built under it that it'd be stupid to use anything else and that's the reason why i don't like them anymore they're out there so you can listen to me and I'm not going to take them down because I don't believe in that. I don't believe in uh, running from your mistakes. I think I should leave them. At least now I don't. Uh, I used to. But Bitcoin changed my life. <laughs> Actually, Jordan Peterson did. But there's, there's another reason why Jordan Peterson and Bitcoin will change my brother-in-law's life. Moving on to the next point. Mo facts. 
I mentioned two shows ago that we should all be listening to this podcast. This podcast, more than, more than the No Agenda show. Now, the, Joe, no, the No Agenda show gives me sanity. Literally gives me sanity. Allows me to see through the BS that's out there and allows me to make rational decisions because my amygdala gets shrunk every single time I listen, which is every Thursday and every Sunday. Usually it's more like every Friday until Sunday and every Sunday until Thursday, I slowly space out my, my listening habits so I can get a full three days of listening to Adam and John talk about everything that there is to talk about. That's the way I've chosen to listen to it because I can't get enough of it. Well, Mo Facts, it's like it removes the scales from your eyes in the corruption the No Agenda show removes the scales as far as media deconstruction. But as far as the corruption that is there at a base level, the evil and the corruption that is there, the MoFax show uncovers all that. And it's doing it show by show, topic by topic, and I believe that if provided that they can both go long enough, they will cover every topic under the sun. Which is obvious. But anyway. Uh, listening to the most recent Mo Facts episode made me think of uh, Jordan Peterson. Now, this is strange because the most recent Mo Facts episode was all about eugenics. Now, he, he gets into the Jordan Peterson clips that he has about certain things because he brought Jordan Peterson up himself, which, you know, it's, it's funny that at the beginning of the show, I thought immediately of something Jordan Peterson said, but that's because I've listened to so much Jordan Peterson that it's almost like a reference book now in the back of my mind. But either way, it's it made me think about his lecture on intelligence and IQ tests and how there's nothing we can do to increase, to increase IQ based on the literature that he's looked into. So I actually got a clip of that specifically, and I wanted to play that for you. Uh, where is it? Um, right here. Listen to this real quick. Uh, wait, let me make sure that the levels are correct. I hope they are. Uh, if they're not, then sorry, I'll adjust kind of on the fly here. Let's see what happens. Uh, playing now. Cool. Okay, so, so what's the panoply, let's say, of, of predictors that we know of? Well, um, and so these are determinants of lifetime success, as far as I can tell. Uh, and I would you know, think about this, because I'll tell you what it is that you need to do to be successful. Some of these things aren't so malleable, but others are things that you can work on. Well, IQ, well, that's a rough one, because there's no evidence, as far as I can tell, that you can do a damn thing about your IQ. I was just reading a paper by Dan Simon today. Uh, it's a relatively recent review. Dan Simon did the Invisible Gorilla stuff, and he was looking, because there's all these companies that claim that these online brain training exercises can produce cognitive improvements, and he reviewed the literature again. And I've reviewed that literature like six times in the last 15 years, because I keep hoping that someone will crack the problem, but it's always the same answer. It's like, you do brain training games, you get better at the game, a lot better at that game. You get slightly better at similar games, but distal games that are still heavily cognitively loaded doesn't affect your performance at all. Zero. None. Which is like, okay, there you go. There's, there's the thought that came to mind when I was listening to the most recent episode. Most recent episode, he was talking about how in the eugenics world, your IQ is a big determining factor as to whether the, the they that are making, excuse me, uh, decisions and passing down edicts from on high that will eventually lead to the dysgenics of 
well, the eugenics, but then maybe to the dysgenics of you and your offspring, those, those decisions that they make are based on your IQ. And that's, it's, it's a flawed structure. It's a flawed measuring mechanism as far as they could understand it. And there's science to back up the, uh, the IQ tests themselves and True, it could be flawed, but then it's the best one we have for now, the best predictor we could possibly use based on the actual scientific method. It's the best we can do, especially based on the fact that these are all, all the questions on the IQ test are self-answered. Like, there's no, there's no course you can take to do better, which kind of lends to, you know, the, uh, the fact that it's as accurate as it can be. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, it made me think of that clip. And it made me think of that clip for a good reason. For the reason that if, if we can't increase our IQ at all, there's a sound. Are you hearing that? Is that? Okay. I'm, I'm chasing squirrels. Okay. Let me, let me change this, this idea. Jordan Peterson, in my last episode, talked about sacrifice. A lot about it. And it was explained pretty well, in his, like expertly, in his definition of what sacrifice actually was. I said better than how uh, certain preachers would define the word sacrifice. Jordan Peterson is one of these guys who's basically antithetical to the idea of what these, these they have in mind and in plan. And what his plan is to attempt to at least get you an idea of where your IQ stands so you can do something about it. Now, as far as he's concerned, you can't raise it. As far as he's concerned, what the scientist said, you can't raise it. But he's doing everything he can to try and help you at least maintain it and at least understand where you're at, at least understand yourself. But something caught me by surprise about Jordan Peterson by listening to this episode is that Jordan Peterson is one of these people who follows the science and it could lead to his detriment. It could. Possibly. Because there's another statement that was made on MoFact and the statement was that smart people, there's an argument that they're not any smarter than the dumb people because they can convince themselves that their dumb decision is the correct one. So there's almost no way to account for that either because they can convince other dumb people that they're dumb answer might be the right one when it's not. So, we're in this mode right now. I'm in this mode right now. That I'm trying to find everything that I can to help me learn more and more and more so I can see things clearer. Jordan Peterson was a big stepping stone into that. The Bitcoin network is going to be an even bigger stepping stone into that. The No Agenda show is a bigger stepping stone, and the MoFax show, and then everything else that I listen to more and more. The Bitcoin Plubcast, the uh, Talking in Bits show, everything that I can possibly listen to. The Survival Podcast. Everything that I can listen to, I'm going to. But speaking of that, speaking of listening, what app are you listening on? What Podcasting 2.0 app do you trust to use? For all your listening pleasures. I've chosen the Fountain Podcast app until later because there's a community that's being built around it. I think that's the big draw is the community 
that was built based on clipping and based on the liking and the in-app commenting system. I think these app, these comments can be uh, displayed outside of the app in uh, in in like cross-platform. But I think that because it started in-house and started before anyone else got on board and then they later implement, I think, I can't remember the exact history of it and it's not even been that long ago, but I think that's how it happened. I think because of that, uh, there's been a lot more community and a lot more adoption of Fountain based on other ones. Plus, they're also, like I keep saying, pushing the envelope when it comes to new features. And that leads me to a thought I had with Oscar Mary himself, the inventor of the podcast. Well one of them. I'm, he's probably the inventor and then got a team now to help him out with the rest, but um, I haven't asked him that specifically and I haven't listened to enough interviews with him to understand whether that's the case. But either way, I messaged him on uh, his social media account and it's uh, I, I, I'll just read it out to you. And I'll also, I crop these into perfect squares so I can put these in the podcasting 2.0 chapters so you can follow along. Uh, it says, hey Oscar, I wanted to ask you what happens to the transcripts of the episodes that get transcribed through Fountain. Once someone deletes the downloaded episode from their phones at a later date, do they just, I mean, my question was, do they just like, disappear into the ether somewhere? Well, his answer was, we do keep them and are going to add a new way or add a way to view soon. Meaning that the time that it takes to transcribe things, which isn't the biggest holdup, because if you think about it, it takes maybe five minutes to transcribe a three-hour episode with time codes and to have all the processing done on the phone. That's insane. I think it was on the phone. I don't think it's on the phone. No, never mind. Even if it's through a service that's outside of the phone, to have that all happen in roughly five minutes, that's not a horrible holdup. Now, it's not prime time, and it's not prime time because regular folk don't want to wait that long. Like they're not they're not on the, the, the edge of technology like the people who have actually adopted podcasting 2.0 from its inception, like Claude, like me, like anyone else who started a podcasting 2.0 value for value enabled podcast way back in the day. My first podcast back in 2020, early 2020, I think I think it was no, I think it was late. I think it was October of 2020 was when I first enabled my value for value podcast. I was there with a value for value enabled podcast. Within the first hundred, I believe, is what the the record what the number was that Adam and and Dave were talking about. So not everyone's in that in that boat where they can accept something like five minutes for a transcribed episode. And he's figuring that out. He's ahead of the game in every single thing. That's my point with this. I communicated with him, and he's ahead of the game already. Beautiful. It's beautiful to me. Um, I wanted to cover just like two more things as far as clips uh, before I get into anything else. So I'll talk about this right here. Then I'm going to play myself out because it's it's kind of coming up on that time. But I'll play this for you. Listen to Jordan Peterson talking about what actually, and this is the reason why I clipped this is because this is what drives me. Now, keep in mind, I got this from one of these motivational videos that are played by just a conglomeration of Jordan Peterson clips and they put music behind it and I'm not happy about it. So I ran it through an app called Moises that removes the uh, the sound with AI. So it's not perfect, but that's that's what the issue is with the audio once you listen to it. So I'll just play that for you right now and let me know or I'll, I'll let you know why I clipped this specifically. And that efficiency thing is really fun if you guys who are listening are out for a challenge like one of the things that you can i think this heightens the meaning in your life is to try to do difficult things right aim high don't aim so damn high you can't 
manage it and make sure you break down your aims into reasonably attainable sub-goals, but you want to aim high and then you want to see how hyper-efficient you can get. That's a great thing to do in your early 20s is to see, okay, like discipline yourself. You think, okay, how much work can I do if I load myself right to the maximum? How far do I, how far can I work? How hard can I work until I exhaust myself? And then you back off obviously because the optimal amount of working productive engagement, let's say, is that which is sustainable across decades. So you have to you have to learn that, but you don't learn that without stretching yourself to your limits to begin with. And you know, if your life isn't everything it could be, and if you're suffering from an excess of meaninglessness, well, it means you're not oriented in the world of chaos and order properly. It's like you could learn to discipline yourself. Look, figure out what figure out what it is that you need to do and that you want to do and then see how efficient you can get. So you could you could tell that the audio wasn't pulled out completely, but I wanted to talk about what's driving me, what's driving Claude. There's there's a lot that I've been taking on recently, a whole heck of a lot. And in the last what, what was it? The I think episode number fifteen, I was talking about how I wanted to get into the IT world and how I wanted to go to a coding boot camp. And just recently, I have the itch to. And this is this is why I disagree with that personality assessment. Is because I'm open to open openness. I'm open to new things. But just recently, I wanted to go to a jujitsu class. I wanted to take on, like, freaking Joe Rogan. He got him. You know what? Screw it. I'm going to play the Joe Rogan clip, and then I'll come back to this. Listen to this, because this is... All right, uh, for anyone listening, there's a cuss word involved. So uh, if you're squeamish about that, whatever, or there's a few, but listen to this. Listen to this, because this is unbelievable. For some people out there that aren't feeling good, man, if you just fucking struggled more, you get over that struggle, you feel better. It sounds so simplistic, but I'm, I swear by it. I, yeah. I felt shitty myself and then forced yeah. myself to work out. And after I get out of there, I'm like, whoa, 100%. It's a 100% great. guarantee. 100% guarantee. That's me. That's Claude. I, I want to feel that. I want to feel that when I push myself when I don't want to do something and I push myself and I get through it, I want to feel that sense of, I'll say pride, but it's not pride in the, uh, in the immoral sense. It's a sense of pride that look what I was able to accomplish. Look what I was able to accomplish with just the things that I've been blessed with. We have a guy at the church who just fell and snapped his neck. Literally, he's in a wheelchair. He may be paralyzed for life. And this guy was a guy that's roughly in the same position who just would do everything he possibly could. And it kind of caught up to him, which is kind of sobering. But, you know, like, we're going to raise up a um, a uh, collection uh, offering for him at the church and and help his family out as much as possible because we're still unsure it's very recent it happened maybe like four days ago so all of the x-rays and everything still haven't come in yet but he's basically in a neck brace a permanent neck brace until they can figure out what's going to happen with him and this guy's in the same boat he's a guy who just wants to push himself and i'm trying to push myself with the things i've been blessed with i've been blessed with just the ability to go to work i've been blessed by the, by the fact that i haven't snapped my neck yet and i can still do all this stuff and that's what I want to take advantage of. That's what's driving me. That's what's making me podcast. Even though I got here late by four minutes, you know, I still, I, I didn't put out the live link until just now, like just a while ago, but it's my first live episode and, and I'm happy. I'm happy with the way it turned out because it's, even though, like I'll, I'll tell you, <laughs> I'm in a car and I'm freaking sweating like bad, you know, like I am drenched, but I wanted this to happen. I wanted to get this done because I want to push myself. This is what's driving Claude right now. This is what's driving me is the fact that I can do these things because of the way that I've been blessed. I can reach this, this point of 
being in the zone, I'll say. I want to be more efficient. I want to do that in my early 20s. I need to back off. I understand that. I've taken off, I've bitten, more, I've bitten off more than I can chew already. And I know now what my limits are. And I know now when I can say no and when I should say no and when I should just defer till later. But I've only realized that by pushing myself to my maximum. At least my perceived maximum. But then it's not just me. It's also the people that depend on me, my wife and my kids. I can't just do everything that I want and leave them in the dust. That's, I, I, I'd be, let's face it, I'd be a jerk off of a father and a husband. Like that's as simple as it can be. But I'm not going to be that person anymore. I'm going to strive to be the best that I can be and keep a schedule. In the words of Jordan Peterson, I'm going to make a damn schedule. And I'm going to keep to it because I'm going to be this person that is hyper-effective, hyper-efficient. Not to the point where I, I lose sight of what's important to me. I'm going to make my schedule to reflect what's important to me. And that's what drives Claude. That's my, that's my own personality assessment. Not the one I got from Jordan Peterson. Nothing against that one. That actually made me understand who I am as a person and what I can tolerate and what I can't to a degree because I still think it's flawed. <laughs> that's me contending with the great... Man, I've used his name so much, I hope an algo picks me up somewhere. Anyway, I want to end with this. This is what I'm going to end with and then it'll... I don't have an end of show mix or anything. I was sorely ill-prepared for this. I want to attempt to do a voiceover read of one of the best memes I've seen in my life. I'll put a link right now when it gets published, which would probably actually be tomorrow. So whoever got on this now, you're, you're, you're golden. I'm not good enough to do the podcasting 2.0 chapters and everything else uh, the day after, the, the hour after, like Adam and, and the No Agenda crew. But it'll probably be tomorrow. But you'll see the link. You've seen the link right now to a review on Amazon of the Har Haribo, Haribo gummy bears, the five pound bag. I believe it's the five pound bag. And I'd like to attempt to read this to you in a mode that would make you chuckle. So, here goes. June 2nd, 2018. My flight was leaving at 8 in the morning. After awaking and trying to get to the airport, I forgot to grab something to eat. Usually, I take my time and do things in order, but not this day. I was traveling from Boston to LA, coming home from a work trip. I do it regularly, so it was nothing new for me. Stayed in the same hotel and knew the time I needed to leave to get to the airport on time. During my work trip, I stopped at a convenience store and saw these gummy bears and thought they would be a perfect gift for my son Charlie. He loves gummy bears and gummy worms. So the morning was to head back to LA. I slept through my alarm. That never happens. Rushed to get out of the hotel. I threw those gummies in my carry-on bag and made it on time to the airport. After speeding and filling up, at the, uh, filling up gas in the rental, I made it to my gate as they were boarding. Get on the plane, head down the aisle, find my window seat near the middle of the plane. I asked politely, asked politely, for two adorable older ladies sitting next to the middle and aisle seats if they could pass by to my seat. They obliged. The ad in the middle must have, or sorry, the ADV, I don't, I don't know what that is. I'm, I'm trying to continue on with the same mode of uh, reading, but it's taken a bit, and this is a long read, but uh, bear with me. The, uh, I, I'm guessing elderly in the middle, must have been around 80 years old, so it took her some time to get up and make sure that she was holding on to something so she didn't fall as I stepped into the aisle. I thanked them as I sat into my, as I sat and settled into my seat. Now, fast forward 20 minutes as we reach our headphones. Or, man, as we reach our cruising altitude of around 30,000 feet in the air. As I reach into my carry-on bag and grab my headphones, I see the gummy bears. Since I am hungry, 
and need something, I decided to open them up and just have a few to hold me on until we land. I wanted to save some for my son and maybe had four or five. Nah, for, for too many, because once the bears had a few minutes to adjust to, you know, into their new home, they began to work. And it started with a little cramp. Which is normal with gassing on a plane. You do want to fart on a pl you don't want to fart on a plane, so you so you hold it in. It's airplane etiquette. I would come to go I would <laughs> no. It would come and go over a few minutes, so I thought nothing of it. Then it got worse. The cramps intensified. The sweating started, and I began to notice the older ladies looking over at me. About thirty minutes into eating these bears, my thinking went from no, oh, these are just farts. I can hold them to oh dear God, not here. I've been a Christian my whole life, and this is the test. If there is a God, please help me to leave this plane with my dignity. After waiting for the intense cramp wave to pass, I stood up and <laughs> I stood up. Oh, what is it? Uh, stood up and lumped over these two women. Uh, could not wait for them to stand, so stood up, my back facing them. Ah, trying to get up and shimmy past them. I think a toot came out because I heard one of them say, Oh, Lord, was that you? After reaching the aisle, I waddled to the back of the plane where the least amount of risk would be. To my dismay, it was in use. Oh, shoot. Back, back, back. Get back, get back, get back, get back. Ow. The iPad is acting strange. No, come on. Where are you? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Uh, there it is. To my dismay, it was in use. That left one bathroom left in the front. Looked down the aisle and saw it. My Mount Everest. I had to somehow keep my wet cheeks tighter than Fort Knox with whilst waddling, whilst praying, no one gets out of their seats. After five minutes of stop and go, I made it to the bathroom and was pulling my pants down as I entered the bathroom. The door was still unlocked as the sweet release was underway. Ah, I thought I died. Thought this was it. Even though I was on the throne confessing my sins. I thought my time was called. I lost count on how many knocks there was at the door. I must have been in there for 45 minutes, but made it. I washed my hands and threw water on my face to calm me down. Opening the door, I saw the faces looking back at me. Apparently, the seal... Apparently, the seal to the cabin... Oh, what was it? The seal to the bathroom was not airtight, letting just the slightest airflow from the bathroom to the main cabin possible. There were daughters, mothers, and children looking at me. I could feel the questions and comments. What have you done? We still have two hours left. Please divert this plane. As I began walking down, the man in the first row of the first, of first class grabbed my arm. He said, hey man, where's your seat? Confused, I told him, and he said, go get your stuff and come back and sit here. You need this more than me. I was embarrassed and ashamed, had a family at home waiting for me. I recommend these bears to anyone, but please eat them responsibly. This was the best, the best thing I've seen on the internet in way too long. In way too long. But I think I expended way too much energy doing that last segment. I, it wasn't even perfect, but I tried. But I expended way too much on that. I have to go. It's getting too toasty in here. I'm, I'm literally pouring buckets. So I'm going to leave the episode with uh, the Podcasting 2.0 beatbox ad because it deserves to be there. And uh, that's it. Other than my very end of show last segment that I've brought over from my last uh, podcast, which is my son saying to please like my podcast or share my podcast and give me five stars. Five stars is, you know, just a uh, 
I guess, a uh, wave back to the ancient days of podcasting 1.0. But you know what? You can't go wrong. So this is it. This is Claude signing off. And to everyone who's listening in live, if you have been, thank you. Thank you for the listen. Thank you for being here to support me on my very first live. And if you stuck around for freaking 56 minutes, then, you know, God bless you. Man, the value of that is just value alone. So I'll catch you guys in the next one. I'll have more because I had more clips lined up, but it's just way too toasty in here. And I haven't been set up for a while. It's just I'm out here because the kids are asleep inside and I need it to be ultra quiet. And if they wake up or if I talk loud like I did, then it would uh, it would mess with things. So signing off. Last thing, I will catch y'all in the next one. Thank y'all for coming by and stopping by and listening. And don't forget to share some value. Peace. Chapters, transcripts, images, links, stream micropayments to the podcast, and send Satoshis in real time over the Lightning Network using a compatible podcasting 2.0 app. Just go to newpodcastapps.com. That's newpodcastapps.com. And for more info, go to podcastindex.org. Can my podcast give me five stars?